Let's talk about the Olympics, Reed. I, I'm so excited they're back on TV. Do you feel some sports are not as equal as other sports? And here's what I mean by that. I feel like we're just making up stuff to put in the Olympics now. Three-on-three basketball, like literally there's not a person listening to the show right now that is a bigger basketball fan than me. Played my entire life. Why in the world do we have three-on-three basketball in the Olympics? I actually really got into it this week and watching it. It's like street ball. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not fun to watch. But what I'm saying is, is like you win gold in three on three. And let's just at least let's hope, although they haven't gotten off to a very good start. The men's basketball team wins gold. Are they really the same? Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. All right, welcome back to Touchpoint. You are joining us on this wonderful day for episode number 234. 234. It's going to be a while before that happens again, right? Yeah, it probably will never happen again in our history. The way numbers work. In in order, I mean. So the next one, I guess, is going to be 345. So a while. So a while, while before this yeah. happens again. Yeah. But that's Chris. I'm Reed. We're so grateful that you've joined us uh, for yet another episode of Touchpoint. And this is Touchpoint, the podcast, not to be confused with Touchpoint Media, the network of shows. You can find out more about either one over at touchpoint.health. So navigate over, check out this show, all the other shows, there's about 20 of them now on the network, all kinds of show hosts, topics. It's it's great. It, and I feel very fortunate to um, you know have the folks that we have creating content. Just such a such a great opportunity to continue to learn. And really just have these resources available uh, on, on a regular basis. So uh, would love for you to go check that out while you're there. The TPS report, you'll see it up in the navigation at the top. If you click on that and subscribe, I promise not to spam you, but you will get an email each Monday morning, five articles to start off your week as curated by our show host. Again, just five quick articles you can peruse, help you get your week off to a great start. So we will uh, we'll pause here for just a second. Won't you jump over, do that, or jot it down so you can uh, remember to do this later? And we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
wanted to kind of build off of last week a little bit. So if you, if you didn't listen to last week's show about misinformation and, you know, the responsibility of not just clinicians, but, but all of us that not only create content, but consume and share content online, that, that was such an, an interesting conversation we had. And then certainly, you know, Dr. V coming on the show was, was always great. So again, go back and listen to that if you haven't. But wanted to kind of build on that because one of the things that's happening, one of the things that I'm seeing, I've had a number of conversations as of late around for various reasons, you know, we'll have clients that uh, do not like what shows up in Google search results, more specifically the first page of Google, more specifically the first half, the first top of the Google search yep. results of yep. page one. They don't like what shows up there when they Google their name, their organization name, a doctor's name, you know, whatever it may be that they at least assume is a pretty common you know, search phrase and they don't like what shows up there, right? And so it's, hey, what do we do? How do we get these off? That comes up so frequently. I remember, Reed, way back when, almost 10 years ago, I was working with a hospital and they had, I, I forgot the name, I'll just make it up, right? Like generalhospital.org was their website. And they had someone that had such a big negative beef with the hospital that they actually created generalhospital.com, like the equivalent .com <laughs> domain, <laughs> yeah. and basically made it a diatribe about how horrible this hospital is, et cetera. And they reached out to me and they said, how can we get this removed? That's an extreme scenario, but we hear it every day about, they, yeah. you know, like the stuff that's in Google is not necessarily reflective or accurate of what's happening here. How can we fix that? And, and you see it some other platform specific examples. And so we may do a whole, you know, another episode on this, but like Wikipedia, for example, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere that you don't have control over what people are reading about you, it seems to be like in a public space. It becomes problematic at some point because, again, for so many years, we controlled everything. We controlled the message, the narrative, all that kind of fun stuff. Well, now with ratings and reviews, with you know the search results that come up, the people that, you know, you can probably a blog this afternoon and start writing, you know, about anything right. you choose. Uh, Wikipedia entries, et cetera. This is becoming a, a bigger and bigger kind of pain point for folks uh, as they're trying to hire people to come work in an organization or with a particular person as you are uh, certainly trying to grow service lines and people are Googling your organization and, you know, things like that. You know, this reminds me of something you said in last week's episode about the peso model, which is like something that is applied a lot in thought leadership and, and some of the content that you do. And I think it might be a good, good for us to kind of talk through like all the different elements that are potentially part of this, this thing that contributes to the challenge of the wrong information at the top of the search engines. Yeah, absolutely. So PESO, uh, for those that are not uh, familiar, it's a, an acronym that's been around for a little bit of time now, but stands for paid, earned, shared, owned, right? And so it's a way to think about your content that ends up online. You know, the paid piece is, is relatively straightforward. You know, it's advertising. It could be in social, could be in search, display, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, but the paid side of the equation, the earned side is is your public relations, your earned media. So, you know, stories that are showing up online, you know, that you've had something to do with. You know, you've you know had a reporter come out and interview a doctor about some breakthrough or new procedure or, you know, whatever it may be. The shared piece, pretty straightforward. That's social media, uh, for lack of not not digging in fully, but but that's, that's the social piece. You know, they're shared platforms. And then the own piece are your owned platforms. So like the web or blog or, you know, some things like that, even video content potentially. 
you know, and each one of those has a different strategy with how you can actually start to gain better reputation or put better content out there on each, right? And so for earned media, typically that's under the comms team. When we get into like paid media, that typically falls under marketing, although sometimes it blurs the line when we get into paid social. Each and every one of these, there's a there's a certain strategy. And we've covered a lot of these topics in previous episodes. The world is becoming, the digital world is becoming more and more complex. And reputation is becoming a big, big part of the things that we need to keep our eyes on and focus on. I found an article that it might be fun to kind of go through a couple of these statistics. It's called 77 Online Reputation Statistics for 2021. Now, we won't go through all 77 of them, but there are some that kind of jump out at us as being things for us to you know, keep in mind. Clearly, we know people are going online. Right? We do know people are, are searching more. They're using search in multiple different stages of their journey. And you and I have talked about some of these things before, but let's, let's hit on a couple of these, uh, these statistics that maybe just bring it top to mind. Yeah, one that jumps out to me, and, and this shouldn't be odd or crazy to think about, but 97%, so basically everybody, <laughs> <laughs> learn more about local companies online than from any other resource. Yeah. The thing about that, learn more about local companies. So that would include hospitals, healthcare systems, you know, those types of things online than from any other resource. And even more so, it says here that 92% of those searchers are going to choose businesses that are on page one of that search result. And I think it gets even more higher when you talk about the first three uh, results that pop up, right? Right. I don't know the last time I've gone to page two of Google outside of doing some research for a client, you know, to see like how far down something may have been or something like that. Talking about local businesses, several other things in here, you know, the, the near me or close by, you know, type searches are growing just exponentially. You know, certainly, you know, people, they say 46% of Google searches are looking for local information. So clearly, search engines and Google is a big part of like that local search. And that's why Google is investing into and do and building out their Google knowledge graph, which we've talked about a couple of times before. And one of those things is reviews. Even to this day, as I'm managing online um, reputation for our health system, the number one place where people are writing reviews, it's on Google. That's where we're getting all of our reviews easily, right? So reviews are significantly huge. And they say here that 87% of consumers read reviews for local businesses. And this was from 2020. It's a 6% increase from 2019. So we can only imagine how many of those local reviews, now that they're being surfaced easier, are, are becoming more important part of their search path. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and, and I think this is the telling one. So it's like, okay, a whole bunch of people see the review, a whole bunch of people read the review. Okay, super. What does that mean? Well, they say that 79%, so eight out of 10, trust that online review as much as a personal recommendation from friend or family. So where we used to think about word of mouth and, you know, that was the big, you know, it still is certainly, but I think the idea is not so much that word of mouth has gone away, that this is word of mouth. Yeah. And people are doing it because it's so much easier now. 72% of U.S. consumers reported having written an online review in 2020. And 63% of those people have written a positive review. 
I don't know. That's not reflective of my experience. Well, actually, I see a lot of positive reviews coming through for my health system, but it's the negative ones, I think, that stay with me the most. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's one of those deals where, you know, why, why in the world would you write a review for a hospital? Right. Unless it's, unless it's negative. So left up to chance, the majority of what you're going to see is negative coming through, right? With the few L and D type stuff sprinkled in. But if you ask people to do it and you make it easy for them, turns out they'll, they'll do it. They'll write a review. And on Google, you don't have to actually write a review. You can just do the star rating, right? So I think, again, I think as more systems have started proactively asking and making it easy for folks, you know, I think we'll see, you know, those numbers come up. Obviously, we, we've seen it with some of our clients that it's really uh, impacted, you know, their, their star ratings online. And Well, there's one stat here I want to end with because it's interesting. It says here that the pandemic has also had a significant impact on businesses. 67% of consumers reported that they would not use a business if the reviews said that their COVID health and safety measures were not in place. Interesting, huh? Huh. Yeah, that is interesting. So two thirds, you know, of folks. And so that's interesting as you think about like your Google My Business listing and being able to have COVID specific URLs and telehealth URLs and things like that slotted in. So again, just kind of driving home why this is why this is so important. Well, why don't we do this, Reed? Why don't we take a brief pause here? And then when, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about search algorithms and you know if google's the big thing which i think it is how we can solve that problem and then maybe even address some good tips that you have about how to positively impact your seo let's do it coming soon from graystone bowstring and touchpoint media live from hcic a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right. So, you know, to, to really think through this, and it's like, okay, well, how do we get stuff off the, you know, first page of Google? I think it's important, and we're not going to dive, you know, super deep into this, but really to understand how the, the Google algorithm works. So everybody just, I felt everybody's chairs just scoot up closer to the, uh, <laughs> I don't know is the short answer, but um, I, I don't know. No one does. I mean, I think last count, they changed the algorithm at least once, if not twice a day uh, yeah. anymore. So again, you can't, you can't really game it, but in, in generally there are several things that impact that, right? So it's like the meaning of your search query. So, you know, they're able to, to tell the difference in like the word change, like changes in replace or changes in exchange or changes in adjust, you know, that kind of thing. The relevant uh, relevance of the web pages, the quality of the content, usability. You know, we talked about usability in the past quite a bit. And then context and settings. So again, you know, you think about things like the words that are in the query itself, uh, the relevance of the page that you have, the expertise of the sources, and then there's the logistical stuff, like physically, where are they? 
you know, what's their search history, you know, things like that. Again, there's all kinds of pieces that, that go into this to really, uh, you know, influence, um, you know, what people are finding. So what you find sitting in the Twin Cities and what I find down in, in Nashville, uh, some will be the same, certainly if we're doing branded you know, searches like, you know, Nike or something, right? Chances are we're going to find Nike.com, both of us. But, but as you kind of <laughs> nuance that, certainly right. it's, it's going to be a little bit different. Even if I just said urgent care near me, you did urgent care near you, you know, we're, we're obviously not going to find the same urgent care clinic. And that's the big thing about the Google ecosystem, right? We, we talked a number of episodes ago about first party data. That's what Google does, right? They use first party data to make your search experience more relevant to you. And so that's why, you know, when you're working on doing SEO for other companies, it, it's sometimes good to go into incognito mode and or log out of Google when you're searching. But everybody who searches within Google has their own unique experience. Uh, but that's still doesn't solve the problem though, Ray, because negative content can appear on Google. And I have often heard from uh, people that I'm working with, well, this is just outright wrong. How do I just remove this? Well, we found an, a, an article that we'll just touch on a couple of points here about how to remove negative content from Google. Oh, here we go. Do you have a terms of service around what kind of content that they're going to remove? And so um, let's go through that list a little bit. Now, a couple of them we won't talk about because some of them are, are, are related to things that are not in our space, like type of content. But they do address some of the things that may be relevant to us. The first is they have a, a thing that says any kind of content that's exploitive. In order to use this method, you have to be the subject of the content. Your website cannot be a business review site, and your website has to remove practices that require you to pay to have that content removed. Things like, you know, where maybe they're using your name and driving it to another person's website, that's stuff that you can use. That's called exploitive content. And again, we're not saying that this is just um, an instantaneous thing. Like you're not oh, going no. to go in there and like fill out a <laughs> form and all of a sudden everything's gone from the internet. Right, and right. Kind of a deal. And two, I want to be clear, we're, we're talking about removing it from search results, not removing it from the internet. Right. That's two different things. Like the, the content still does exist on a website somewhere. You know, another one that they point out is, you know, that they will remove certain medical, financial, national identification information, things like that. So, again, if you find somewhere on the Internet that someone has publicly posted your Social Security number, bank account, credit card, driver's license ID, you know, stuff like that, uh, those are things that they would remove uh, from the search results. That's not to say if they write a review and they mention their own name or their family member's name and how bad they were treated, that's not a HIPAA violation. I know that's the, you know, a lot of people are arguing about what that actually might mean lately, but that's not it. Um, another thing is any kind of intellectual property copyright violation. They'll remove that from the search results. That's just be kind of interesting. And particularly when you think about there, there was a time many years ago, Reed, remember where we were asked to put content up from third party uh, robotic companies websites put it on our own websites do you remember the time i'm referring to yeah and then there was sort of a lawsuit that this information was incorrect and so if you're using like any kind of uh, approach around that you just want to be very cautious that's why most hospital websites say they don't put in any kind of third-party content just to eliminate that with the exception of health libraries so there's there's different reasons you know google may take it down and again like we said 
This is from the search results, not from the website source itself. Right. You know, if you need it removed from the website source itself, that's a little bit of a different conversation that probably involves attorneys and you know that that kind of thing, right? Oh boy. <laughs> but people have probably heard, uh, and this article talks a little bit about suppression. So, like, how do we suppress something, move it down the page, et cetera? And we'll, we'll get to kind of what we recommend. But the idea of what suppression is. Based on the fact that we're probably not going to get it removed uh, in, in all practical sense. So, you know, the idea is to get it buried, get it pushed down. And so, you know, we, we've heard Lee and uh, maybe even Ferris at the Mayo Clinic talk about the solution to pollution is dilution, right? And so that's really what that is about. You know, how do we dilute this, ultimately kind of move it down the page? They also have called it puns or positive under negatives. Search results that search engines think are relevant and therefore deserving of spots higher up on the search results. But they tend to show up just below the negative. So it's almost like this kind of this this whole pun concept in the suppression game is around do you think that the search engine is actually validating or thinking that negative information is more relevant to the user or not. I think the whole point here is you have to assume that the search engine thinks that the content is good. But they try to put up what's at the top, which is most relevant. And relevancy has a lot of factors built into it, Reed. It's not just the type of content that's being written about you. It's about how frequently it's updated, what sources, etc. And that kind of leads us to our recommendations on uh, the steps to positively impact SEO. Yeah, absolutely. And if we go back and we look at how Google talks about their search algorithm working, you know, it has all these factors that kind of play into that. And so, for example, they say the freshness of the content, so back to your point, Chris, plays a bigger role in answering queries about current news topics than it does about dictionary definitions, Mm -hmm. right? So there's all kinds of nuances to this, right? Mm -hmm. So what we're going to talk about and kind of recommend here, you know, is certainly not the end-all be-all, but we'll kind of give you some things to think about as we want to kind of impact you know, search results for a particular organization or an individual or an initiative or brand or something like that. So we have six steps. Actually, Reed, these are six steps you developed to impact SEO. So let's give credit where credit's due. These are your steps. Yes. And uh, so let's go through each one and uh, give some context. The first one is interesting. Purchase a new domain with keywords included. Doing this will associate a URL with keywords that's a strong ranking factor. I think we use this this tactic a lot when we're doing campaigns. And maybe the campaigns are branded a certain way or we're trying to even get URLs that highlight a particular uh, service line or something like that, right? This would give you the ability to, to start to positively gain some, some strength around this. Of course, that leads to you have to hold, build a whole site behind it and a content strategy behind that as well, though, right? You do. And, and I think that's where you look at like Dr. V that was on the show last week, right? 33charts.com is his website. You know, he, he has spent a lot of time and a lot of years creating content there. So it's going to be hard to outrank him around his own name. For various of the things that are on this list of six, he does a number of them, but that's one of them. You know, the URL or in more specifically, the, this, the, the site that is specific to, again, an organization, a name, a brand. You know, Google's gonna gonna pair that up. The second thing on the list is, is really once you have that, you go to number two, which is plan and plan and plan some more. So, staying out in front, being aggressive with the frequency, 
you want to outpace. And again, if you've got some detractors out there, you want to try to do a little bit of research on, well, how often are they posting about us? You know, is it a local news outlet? Is it a blogger? Is it somebody on Twitter? Like all these are going to be a little bit of a different scenario, but how do we outpace and really create more content and better content than our detractors, right? And so again, uh, dilution. But dilution with an intent, and that leads to the third point, which is focus on keyword density in that content. You want to look for and start to use keywords in your content that you want to start ranking for. This could be putting keywords in titles of articles, press releases, podcasts or whatever, along with the body copy. But the whole point here is you want to do your research because you, you might not be able to gain every search engine search out there about your brand. Well, your brand is probably an easy one. But you know, if you're trying to kind of turn the tide on negative reputation, start to look at well, like what you want to be known for and insert those words. In my mind, I'm thinking some of the things you want to do is you want to include like geographic tags. If it's really important for you to have a local presence, you want to include words that highlight some of the advancements and the specific things that you're doing and even your brand differentiators. The fourth thing on the list is social media. So kind of ramping up the idea that, again, say you're an individual, you want to adjust the search results about you, uh, or maybe it's a doctor to organization or something like that. Uh, you know, Being active on social is going to help. Again, we go back to the Dr. V example, or maybe Wendy Sue Swanson from her years at Seattle Children's. Like it was really hard to Google, uh, or it is hard to Google either one of those without finding their websites, their social media channels. I mean, that, that ate up so much of the, uh, you know, kind of initial search results. It's just really, really important. Now, much like the content, like the building the site, you got to have a content strategy here as well, right? It's got to, you got to be authentic. You have to participate. It's, it's got to really be something that becomes part of what you do. You can't just have a ghostwriter tweeting for you every so often. Right, right. So so me going out there and starting to claim a bunch of Twitter accounts is really not going to get there. I, yeah, I kind of have to be committed to the long haul, right, to do it. Yep. Okay, so point number five, non-owned properties. You want to reach out and start to make them part of your content strategy. A lot of this is like um, becoming known as like the authoritative source. Our communications team spent a lot of time this on on media, earned media. We talked about this, where earned media, credible sources are writing about you and putting links back to your website. That's the important thing here is you want to have links back to your website too. So you get that credit. You want to create content that can get it back to you so people are endorsing you as opposed to some of these detractors that are out there. Another piece around this too, Reed, is about uh, getting some of your own uh, representatives out there in third-party forums, so to speak. So this is thought leadership where you can have some of your leaders on podcasts, uh, you know, interviews with experts, or attend conferences and speak and write papers and things like that. All of these things are kind of on these non-owned properties. I, again, not an easy over-the-night kind of approach to things, but this is one that's very, very credible in the eyes of Google. Speaking of Google, the sixth thing on the list, pretty obvious, they place a pretty high premium on video content. So video being part of the strategy. Now, yes, that in and of itself as a tactic is good. Um, but the idea here is, is to really understand, you know, what these different platforms, whether it's Google, whether it's Facebook or whatever, you know, where are they spending time developing their platforms and what are they showing 
from a feature set standpoint. So you think about Google and how they're prioritizing video, or you think about some of the social platforms, how they're prioritizing like live video, for example. So again, making that kind of part of that strategy. So you can own that little kind of video cluster there on the search page uh, result. All of these tactics, all of these strategies are not things you could do overnight. So if you get a get that angry you know question from your CEO or maybe a service line leadership about this negative thing, realize that you got to weigh some expectations. You can do your best to try to suppress that, but it takes a long time to get there. But I think they're all credible ways that you could uh, help to turn the tide against negative information or, as referring back to last week, misinformation. Well, it's an interesting topic, certainly. There's a lot more we could talk about, but. Um... I think this is uh, maybe a good, good place to put a bow on it and uh, kind of wrap up the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Your thoughts. Is this something you're dealing with? Uh, heard a lot about, feel like you're struggling with, you know, reach out. We'd love to, you know, really understand kind of what it is that you're, what you're doing and seeing in, in the space. And that goes for really any other topic. You know, we want to make sure we're providing content that uh, is interesting and and is helpful and, and useful. So I think let's do this. Let's uh, let's take a brief pause here, and then we'll be back and wrap up the show. That was a really interesting conversation. A little bit shorter episode this this week, and there's a, there's a reason why, right? Yeah, there is. We've got a really special episode next week that you're going to want to stay tuned for. Uh, we did not have an interview this week. Uh, we only have an interview next week. I know that sounds a little bit odd. It'll make more sense, I promise. Uh, it'll it'll make more sense. Uh, but we'd love to hear from you if you like the shows, if you've got ideas around length or topics or people we should have on, ways we should do it, new segments, all that kind of fun stuff. We love interacting and hearing from you guys. Uh, feel free to reach out LinkedIn, Twitter, all that kind of fun stuff. Well, let's, let's do this. Let's uh, do a couple of recommendations and then we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. So Reed, I know that this is Olympic season, right? So you and I are watching Olympics and I think many people listening in are probably also doing the same. And of course, now in this day of streaming network content, it, my recommendation is going to be related to to just that. Uh, what's the best way to watch the Olympics online? I thought it would be like the, you know, the, the network itself that had its own streaming platform, that is NBC has Peacock. I thought that would be the best streaming platform for the Olympics. I was wrong. My recommendation is going to be watching the Olympics through Hulu. And I'll tell you why. They have a dedicated Olympics channel. They're syndicating all the content from the NBC channels to all the multiple different platforms. But right before the Olympics started, I logged into Hulu and it says, the Olympics are coming. What are your preferences? What are the sports that you're interested in? You kind of choose, you did a menu selection of all the different kinds of events that you're, that you're interested in. And then they pull up and they create their own little hub of Olympic content. And it will also notify you if one of your uh, events that you want to pay attention to is running and it will put it into its like uh, next up kind of programming. So you can actually, if you missed it, you can go back and, and watch it. So my recommendation is for those of you watching the Olympics at home through streaming services is watch it through Hulu. Nice. Uh, I am going to recommend an app called Sketchbook by Autodesk. Uh, so if you have an iPad, you have an Apple Pencil, that kind of thing. It's such a great, uh, great app. And uh, allows you to do it. I mean, obviously you can sketch and that kind of thing. You can take notes with it. You could illustrate. 
Uh, it's really, really robust for a free app, and I think there's some paid components to it. But the brushes, the just everything available to you within the app is is pretty amazing. So, um, so yeah, Sketchbook, and, and I would love to hear from other folks. You know, apps that they're using with their Apple Pencil. If there's other good Illustrator and uh, note taking apps out there, but uh, that you're really liking. But I, you know, I've really enjoyed that one. So, Sketchbook. I actually have that on my iPad. I love it. So that's a great recommendation. Absolutely. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks again for joining us. We certainly appreciate the support. Touchpoint.health is the website. Find us online. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff, wherever you happen to be listening or streaming. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.